seventh birthday, I went to see the play Annie and I looked at my parents and I said, that's what I want to do. I could do that. And a year you're, later, you're, 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 you wanted, you wanted to be an old billionaire who right. took your kids <laughs> off the street. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Correct. And then it got confused in the middle somewhere and suddenly, yes, oh yes, shit, they but thought I'm, that I'm back out. on track. I'm yep. back on track. Great. Okay, Jordan, good to be back. Listen, you know, uh, I was coming home with my one of my daughters, and uh, she started talking about the eclipse. And I kind of looked, you know, the Hollies have these eclipses, but they never come at a really convenient time. It's, you know, I like to see it at like 8 o'clock at night, or, you know, well, as soon as it gets dark at 9.30, you know, they usually come at like 3 or 4 in the morning, right? You got to set your clock to get up. But this one started about 9.27. So, my daughter, we got in the car, we drove out, and we started to watch. And um, we weren't; it wasn't that far along, but yet you could see the eclipse. Now, Where do you what go I, to? You, you have like a, you have an eclipse watching spot. Yeah, we have your... a, we have a well, you know, like a you know, they have deer stands. This is like an eclipse stand. We climb up into that. We sit there away from the lights. And I'm just kidding. We don't have a. <laughs> I don't eclipse know. Stand. The, the, the rules no, of you Ohio. Go, you go Ohio. Ohio look, might have that. I, although, look, yeah, Jordan, in New York, you can't tell the difference between a street light and an eclipse. Let's face facts. I, I mean, I, all the city be, lights, right? To be honest, so, I have I haven't seen the moon in in six years in New York. So, <laughs> I, you know, I got to tell you though, it is it's so fascinating when the total eclipse happens, and this is when the uh, of course when the moon passes between on the other side of the Earth so that the sun's light is blocked. I hope I have that right. We had Massimino on here. He probably would be an expert on eclipses. But when it gets totally blocked, they say there's a red glow, Mm -hmm. which I didn't see because the red glow happened at like, I don't know, 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning, which I should have stayed up to see. But there's so many of them coming our way these days. You know, it's not like the only eclipse we're going to see in 25 years Unlike a solar eclipse, I just think it's really, really cool. I mean, did you did you know this was coming? Did you pay I, any attention? I honestly, I completely missed it. I'm I I don't know where to go to get eclipse based information. In the old <laughs> days, like elementary school, I remember teachers saying there'd be an eclipse. You'd make some sort of contraption out of yeah, an right. old that's cup right. and a that's sharp. That's for a solar eclipse. Is that what that that's, is? Yeah. You, so you, you look through this little pinhole, so you don't go blind by looking at the sun. You know, because you can't look at the sun, and, as you and, know. And that was enough. This is—is is this what public schooling did for me well, as a child? Well, that was for a it's, solar eclipse. For a lunar eclipse, you don't need that. Those contraptions. What, I'm sure we had some. <laughs> Some hat or some shadow. You never watch it straight on. Whether anything in the, it's there's you look through a weird. No, on a lunar, you can look at it. You can look through it. You don't need all that paraphernalia. I'm gonna have to Google this. I I I I did not get the information. I just hopped on social media the following day and realized people were talking about this thing that they saw. It's I. I don't know. I I feel like it's just now there to give me a sense of FOMO. The planets are aligned against me in a FOMO (laughs) sense. I don't you know, know if that's technically. We'll get Neil deGrasse Tyson out here. I don't know if the planets are technically aligned against me. They might be. Again, I always get confused as where is the moon? Where is the sun? What what should be well, between us? Just so you what? don't get sucked into a, a black hole. Listen, when I was a kid, we used to go to the planetarium in Pittsburgh. And it was so cool because they'd have all these shows and show the stars and the constellations. So, you know, when we're together sometime and it's dark, I'll I'll show you the uh, I'll I'll show you the Cassiopeia. I'll show you Orion, the mighty hunter. I'll show you the you know the lion and uh, you know Taurus the bull. I'll Governor. show you how the head is formed and oh it's great. Governor, and there's I the s- Pleiades in there. You wouldn't think I would know this stuff, but you know what? It was fascinating. But Governor, yeah, I, I've ta- I've said this before, but you cannot be my dad, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> I know you want us to go out. You can point out the constellations. I have a father. He's already told me all these constellations. I have that information. Have you ever looked at them? Again, not when I was in New York. I have. There's one star usually in the sky. That's the best I can get. But whenever I've gone out into places out into real America, I've seen the stars, and they are they are beautiful. I mean, they're all dead. That's also the spoiler alert. We're watching the death of stars, the the echoes of a light that was once there. So, uh, well, the, what, the, what are you talking about? It depends who they are. Like, if you see a red star, that means it's getting old. If you see a blue star, uh, 
like the Vega, I think is the big star. It's a young star. It's a, you know you can you can tell the age of these stars by their colors. See, I bet okay. your dad never told you that. So <laughs> no, what can yeah. I tell you? It's Spot's pretty taken, good, Governor. Spot yeah, is taken. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you know, screw you. I, I just won't show you the constellations. All right. That's fine. Let's get to it. our guest. Let's, Let's get to our it. guest because this isn't working now. Okay. This is, I, yet again, we keep we keep trying to get this astrology podcast off the ground. I tell you, I just don't <laughs> think it's our sweet spot. It's just, let's let's stick to let's stick to what we're good at, okay? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what that is. Yeah, well, it's at least not astrology, so we'll we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll strike that one off the list. I'm very excited about our our guest today. I think we're going to have a, a great conversation. Um, she's an actor, producer, designer, philanthropist, and a humanitarian. She's also the host of the podcast "Sorry Not Sorry" and the author of the book of the exact same name. It's Alyssa Milano, everybody. Hey, Alyssa. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Did you see the eclipse last night? No, but um, much like stars, I'm I'm red. I'm one that's aging rapidly. (laughs) I'm a red star. (laughs) This Uh, is still very powerful, still bright. Still super powerful, but, you know, still star, but of the red kind. Um, uh, so this lunar eclipse, lunar eclipses could be more emotional. Um, so, so, you know, this is, this eclipse apparently is all about letting go of, of past pain and hurt. Is that right? I, that's that's what I read yesterday. I'm mildly aware of the Mercury and retrograde, uh, storyline, but I didn't know there was something specifically attached to eclipses, but. Interesting. Just think if you were though, this, this would be tragic. Just think if you were a fan of Pluto. So Pluto went from being recognized as a planet. And then one day some guy, some nerd guy in some, some place says, oh, well, it doesn't matter anymore. Pluto, you know, it's it's not a it's not a planet anymore. Can you believe that, Alyssa? I mean, how can they just one day? Okay, you got Pluto. It's a you know we all liked it. It was small. It was so far away. Then all of a sudden, it's like you know, oh, we're not we're not going to call it that anymore. I I just happens, thought that was one of the most outrageous things I've heard. Happens in my business all the time. What <laughs> one, one minute they're there, and the next one minute, minute they're, they're there. Everybody loves them. The next minute they're gone. I mean, yeah, some higher up scientist comes in and says, no more. And you're done. There's no more. You're done. (laughs) Right. It's like the running joke in my industry is um, we want someone like Alyssa Milano. Find me Alyssa Milano. Get Alyssa Milano. We need someone like Alyssa Milano. It's like it's full circle. You're nobody. Then you're somebody. Then you're back to where you started. (laughs) What do you you get when you hear stories like that? What 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 does that do to you mentally? I mean, I have, you know, I've been hearing stories like that since I was a little girl, which was a very odd thing, you know, when you're like 12 years old and you have people saying, well, save your money because most child actors don't make it to adult actors, you know? So, I mean, I think I've always just prepared for the worst. (laughs) I've always had a plan B. So, um yeah, so I don't I don't know. I think I think the industry is very fickle. I think I think it's always evolving and changing and I think we've seen the 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 latest iteration of that through the pandemic and how the film industry has taken such a, a hit, but TV and and streaming is, you know, through the roof. So I'm actually back in again. I am back in style again, guys. But then you, but Alyssa, you then you look at Netflix, right? And one minute it's just ripping the cover off the ball, and the next day you're reading all these articles about how it's it's failing. I mean, it it is really the cycles are so fast, and now I guess they're devising some plan, or they're going to I don't know they're going to have live now. It's going to be live streaming. Oh, because <laughs> I, Net, Netflix I, changed the face of entertainment. So, right. and I think once everyone else got. Uh, wind of how Netflix was doing things, they were like, well, we could have our own streaming network. So they literally, they, they grabbed all of the content that net, that made Netflix successful and started their own streaming networks, which is, you know, it's great because a lot more people get to go to work, which is, which is very important. Has it opened up more opportunities for you? I mean, do you feel that that? For sure. Yeah. I mean, my 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 Netflix movie Brazen, which we shot uh, a year ago, uh, we debuted at number one. It's something like a hundred million uh, hours 
have been spent throughout the world watching this wow. movie. We were we we were the the top film on Netflix for I don't know weeks and weeks. And when you think about you know the film industry and how there is definitely a certain type of uh, film actor that mostly gets films. Like I'm not I'm not on that list. I'm not on the A list of of theatrical film actors. But the you know the fact that um, Netflix gave me a shot and I was able to uh, to deliver for them. I mean it, it's only helpful, um, you know, especially at this at this point in my career when you know I'm, I'm uh, not the ingenue anymore. I'm curious. I mean, Netflix famously is pretty tight lipped about how many people are watching, um, what the no, response is. They tell you is. how many hours. <laughs> they give you hours. So you have to come with a calculator and be like, is this, is this good? How many, how many dollars? What does this mean? Well, the interesting thing is, is, you know, usually we would try to get that information. Like if it does well internationally, we want to know what territories it does well internationally. So like, for instance, I will never know if Brazen did better in France than it did in Italy. And and why that becomes a strategy is, you know, if you're trying to fund other things, you know, you go to you go you're able to go to France and go, look, this this made this much money here. So give us more money to make this film, which we will also release here, you know. So it's very you're sort of um you know, working in a, in a vacuum as far as the, the data goes. Does it free you up anxiety-wise? Uh, Nothing that- frees me up anxiety except okay. maybe tequila. <laughs> and does that come, is there a streaming tequila situation with Netflix? <laughs> is it, or is that it's just old school idea. still? Not a bad idea. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think I think the thing that frees me up with, with anxiety as it pertains to my job is knowing that I'm a complete human being who is fulfilled in many ways and not just because if you think about it, acting is a really weird art form, right? Like you need, you need someone's permission to do it, right? Like you, you, you're not going to sit in your room at night and do like a Shakespearean monologue to an audience of no one, right? Whereas if you're a painter or a musician or some sort of other or a writer, you can do that in total isolation and have it, you know, the success of it not really depend on people's opinions of your ability to do that, right? Whereas acting, like, you know, my career is, has always, and I've been very blessed 40, 40 years, but it has always, it has always depended on, you know, what someone's opinion of my ability means. You know, so the I was at a very young age, my parents instilled in me that like, yeah, no, this isn't all you are. You're many things besides besides being an actor. You're also a sister and a daughter and and, you know, an advocate and an activist and someone with a really uh, active mind and someone who's creative. And, and so, you know, instilling those those things, I think made it much easier for me to be like, you know what? I haven't worked in a while, but I'm going to learn how to watercolor and that's going to give me a certain sense of fulfillment, you know? And um, I'm, 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 I'm blessed to have had the success that I've had at an early age. Cause it meant that I could, I could save money. Well, that's, that's a lot to, to give a kid. I think it's, it feels like the, the, the right advice to tell them that you're not just that one thing. I will say though, as a child, I think all I could think about was being one thing. And even my failed attempts at, uh, the entertainment world, I think there was almost, a a solace in trying to find one thing I was good at and being like, okay, that's the one thing I'm good at. Maybe I can just focus on that. But in, in an industry that's not sustainable for that mm-hmm. <laughs> and also uh, for your soul to to realize that maybe you need a little bit more, was that something the young Alyssa Milano could internalize and, and understand? And were you able to then search out and try to fulfill those things? Or is that the kind of thing that when you're young, you're like, no, I want to, I want to. Be- I think it was easier actually when I was younger. Yeah. Because there, there wasn't the fear of failing part, right? There is, there was this like invincible feeling, um, and I think the older you get, it's harder to you, you, you're, you have to keep motivating and pushing yourself because otherwise, 
uh, you will just rest on the thing that you're good at. Um, and I don't think that's healthy either. So, you know, it's kind of like, and, and we're so one focused, even that, you know, I'm raising two kids. My son is 10 and my daughter is seven, but even how we look at their extracurricular activities now compared to when I was a kid, like sports, when I was a kid, it was everything. If you were athletic, you played basketball and soccer and baseball. And now because we are um, instilling so much uh, uh, competition, I think we, we make our kids focus on like one sport. Like if you're a baseball player, you're, you're playing baseball and you're doing it all year round, especially in California. And it just makes things so much more competitive. And, and I think it's harder for kids to, to figure out like, what, what do I love? And also like, if that thing breaks your heart, sports as, as an example of that, like what else do you, what else do kids have in their lives to, to, to mend it back? You know, listen, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be so bad if when it comes to these sports, if kids could do it, themselves. You know, Jordan and I have talked about this um, and uh, talked about letting your kids have a chance when they're young to grow up. And so when I was a kid, we played baseball and basketball and football and and we played made uh, made sports up and, and just hung out together and fought and laughed and yelled and screamed and argued. And, and, and so you had a whole wide variety. But the thing that was so great is there wasn't any adult supervision trying to push me into some sort of, uh, I don't forget what they call these things where kids get into these and they travel all over the place, these travel, travel leagues, ball. you know, yep. and then, and then, you know, then when they might get a scholarship, you know, and it's like, oh, well, if you would just stayed in your own town and you played at your high school, you might not get a scholarship. So you got to go and do all, it, it's just nuts. There's it really so is. much and pressure and they burn these kids out too. Right. I just think it's nuts. And also that just think about the toll it takes on a kid's body because you're only using certain muscle groups. Right. Like when a kid plays baseball and then basketball and then soccer, you're using all different muscle. Absolutely. Groups. So, yeah, it's you know, but I think that we are very. We are very um, result driven. And so if if a, if a parent sees not we not meaning me, I mean, as a nation. So if a parent sees you know, a child excelling in something or loving something, it then becomes, you know, all about, well, that's, that's what they're going to do. They're going to be a baseball player when they grow up, you know? And of course I have a very unique perspective of all of this because I was seven when I started working. Right. You know, what I have found Jordan and, and Alyssa is like in my lifetime, I've always found it pretty interesting to leave the things that I did and do other things. So, you know, I've been in politics, I've been in television, still am, uh, I've been on Wall Street, uh, I was, I've been an author, uh, just do many different things, and it gets you stimulated, and that doesn't mean you can't go back to the thing that you, you know, you kind of started, but I think it's kind of cool to just sample a lot of a lot of things, um, and it, it requires you to be pretty flexible, and it, it, and it requires you also to just not get locked down in anything, have fun. You know, that's kind of the way that I think you stay young, too. And it also requires the opportunity for, for young people to be able to try different things. And I think right. that I think that, you know, it's a different it's a different time now. And, and young people don't it's not as accessible as it was to to try different things, you know. And um, and I think that's sad. I really do. Like, you know. I think about growing up and having these friends from from high school and and seeing them go go travel, you know, with no money, but go yeah. travel in Europe for yeah. for a little bit. I, you know, I, I don't think that could exist anymore because nobody can. It, it, everything is about success and results driven, and can't take a year off. I got to go to I got to go to college. I got to yeah. go, you know, and then so and. By the way, I, I, I do want to just say I realize how privileged we are to be able to having have these conversations because there are a lot of young people that don't even uh, get the opportunity to dream anymore, and that's that's a big problem. How, how do you? How does a how does a how does a young girl at the age of seven? How 
How did this happen? I mean, did you just, were you singing around the house all the time? Did somebody hear I you? Was. How, did, this, how does this happen? Yeah, my dad was a, a musician and my mom was a fashion designer. And so the house was very creative. We didn't even have a, a television at the time, which the irony in that is not lost on me. But when I, uh, when I was for my seventh birthday, yeah, seventh birthday, I went to see the play Annie. And I looked at my parents and I said, that's what I want to do. I could do that. And a year <laughs> you're, later. You're, 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 you, wanted, you wanted to be an old billionaire who right. took your kids <laughs> off the street. Right. Yeah. Exactly correct. And then it got confused in the middle somewhere and suddenly, yes. like, oh, yes. shit, they but thought I'm, that. I'm oh. back on track. I'm yep. back on track. Great. Um, but yeah, so so like a year later, I had a babysitter who is who is an equity dancer. She you know she had her equity card, which is the the union for theater, and she actually was going to an open audition to play one of the ensemble uh, members and Annie, and she brought me along with her. Fifteen hundred <laughs> kids were picked, and four were picked out of the fifteen hundred, and I was one of the four. Wow! And that was it. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. You know, I, I, have a, I have a young son right now, and it's amazing the experience of being a parent and, and seeing life through the eyes of a child and the experiences they have and trying to place yourself in the mindset there. You say your daughter is seven. Is that correct? The same my age? My daughter is the same age, same age I was when I first started acting, and my son is the same age I was when I got Who's the Boss? So how when you when you see them now as a parent and where they are in life, uh, how does it make you view yourself going through those experiences? Did it change your your memory and or your perspective on those those experiences? No, but I think my my memory and perspective of those experiences shifted um, as I started sort of exploring my own. Uh, just reflecting on my my life, you know, like through therapy or or whatever. And I remember having this real distinct moment where I was like, oh, like if, you know, understanding that there is a perfect plan at work here and how if I hadn't been an actor, how, you know, the cycle of poverty wouldn't have shifted the cycle of violence wouldn't have shifted. There's so much from one generation, from my mom's generation to my generation, that shifted. Because, you know, I think growing up, you're like, why me? This is so weird. And, and I think, I, think I, I was able to recognize that, that the why me was to break the, the, the cycles in my family. And and give give back and use that platform in a in a way that was going to potentially help other people um, get out of those cycles of of violence and poverty. Are you are you attaching that to uh, fate to an outside being when you, when you, when you say that, or, or do you do you imagine some sort of divinity in your your path? I do. I, I th- yeah. I mean, I I think I am someone who is. Uh, I have to depend on, on my faith, you know, someone that um, has been able, able to overcome, you know, some, some pretty, pretty hard stuff in my life, a lot of trauma. Um, uh, I have to, I have to put it, I think we all need to put, put that in its right spot to be able to, to move on and to, to grow from it and to um, not live in the past. I mean, I don't know, 10 years ago, I I was very much that person who was living in my trauma. Um, And that makes it real hard to not feel anxious all the time, you know, and I was anxious all the time. So, I mean, I think my faith is the thing, you know, that, and I think it's something that we all share is this innate ability and, and it could be from religion or not, but this innate ability to hope for a brighter tomorrow, not only for yourself, but for humanity at large. And I think that's what keeps us, that's what keeps us going and evolving. Uh, listen, and Jordan, I, I know we've talked about this, or I've talked about it on previous podcasts, but um, listen, when I was a young boy, I was a Catholic, 
became an altar boy and commentator and all that stuff. And then I went to school. And then religion became a rabbit's foot for me. Mm. And then in 1987, my parents were killed by a drunk driver. And as a young boy, I was always worried that something that that was going to happen to them. Believe it or not, when I was just a kid, because my father would go to pick my mother up late at night. But I remember being in in, uh, the hospital and having a young Episcopal priest come in and and he said to me, you know, after he tried to provide some comfort, he said, where are you on your faith, you know? And I didn't have a very good answer. And he said to me, well, there's a window of opportunity that you can go through. And I suggest you go and figure out where you are. Because at some point, the window's going to close and life's going to go on. And don't miss this opportunity. That was in 1987. And I've been through that window since, since that time. And it did help me to recover. And it's changed me as a person. It's made me more open and more caring about, I mean, a lot of different things. But it's so interesting to hear you say that, because I know of your activism. We can't have you on the show without you being able to talk about it. And I, I guess it kind of stems from the fact that you think you, that you believe you have a purpose. I'm so excited to hear you talk about that, Alyssa. Oh, I, I, I really am. I think that's fantastic. It explains a lot to me about who you are. Thank you. Well, you know, it, um, when I was 15 years old. I was on Who's the Boss and it was like the height of, we were a top 10 show at the time and I was on covers of teen magazines and whatever. And it just, it just felt, it just didn't feel comfortable for me. I wasn't comfortable in that position. Huh. And um, I met a little boy named Ryan White. Oh yeah. And yeah. he was uh, HIV positive and he was kicked out of his school, had to fight to go back to school because the superintendent said that you could get HIV AIDS from casual contact. And, you know, this was a time when, hell, it's still this time when people use, use fear as, as a motivating factor uh, for, for policy. Um, and so uh, I met him and I was just taken by the fact that we were both, I think, othered throughout our childhoods, you know, like he, he really changed the face of that, of that, illness um, because, uh, you know, here's this kid who got it from a blood transfusion and he was just so lovely and warm and brave. God, he was the bravest. He's thinking about all the people I've met in my life. Ryan is still the bravest, the bravest of all of them. And he said to me, and we became friends because, you know, I also felt othered. And he said to me, would you, he asked me, would you go on uh, TV and kiss me to prove that you couldn't get HIV AIDS from casual contact. And I did. And that moment changed my life forever because I, it all made, made sense. I was like, oh, this is why. And this is the power in this is that I can completely shift, change people's minds and and ease the suffering of, of people. Um, and so, yeah, so that is, that started a, a, my most important work, my most rewarding work. The thing that is most aligned with my, um, my true self, my true being, uh, which is my advocacy, advocacy and, and activism. What, what do you say to the, um, I mean, people are critical of actors um, stepping up and, heading into the political realm. Um, actors, basketball players tend to be the things that people say, shut up and dribble and or read your prompter. Um, but, what, what do you say to that kind of a pushback when people hear that I and feel that, like... I think that that narr- narrative is act- was actually a strategy. Um, I think people, um, you know, looked at the, the 70s and 80s and the activists and, you know, even going back to Danny Kaye and Roberto Clemente and Audrey Hepburn and all of these, we don't really look at them as political activists, but they were more humanitarians. And I think because of the, the things that we fought for, artists always fought for and were always part of, 
I think I think that the Republican Party was very smart to paint us as, you know, the coastal elite who doesn't understand real America and doesn't. And I believe that every artist is an artist because that's how they had to get out. That's how they had to get out of poverty. That's how they had to get out. We were not, you know, and we're from everywhere. We're from everywhere. We're from the everywhere in this country, every nook and cranny that they think that we don't know about. Actors and, and musicians and poets and writers and artists have been born into for the specific you know, and they and they made it out for the specific reason because they they had to make it out, and this is what they were good at. So I think it's it's been a tool that they've they've used to sort of, and I gotta tell you, like all of the vitriol, it's it's very different now, obviously, because they have access to us. So so you all could now know about the vitriol that we that we see, and you go, oh, you know, and and I feel. I feel bad for actors coming up at a young age that see the hate that I get and and decide, you know what, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. It's not worth it. I think that's all part of the plan. I think that's all part of this. Um, you know, but listen, if you think I didn't get hate mail, snail mail, but hate mail from kissing a 15 year old boy who is HIV positive on the Phil Donahue show. You know, so it's something that I think I have understood from a really young age that has gone hand to hand in hand with using your voice. And um, this is my lane. So for everyone that says pick a lane, this, this or stay in your lane, this is my lane. Humanity is my lane. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying about uh, Alyssa, about uh, people's views about Hollywood. Hollywood claims to be so open, but it's not very diverse. You no, know, you, you have to be a lefty, okay? And if you don't spout that, you can be you can be blackballed. That, that, that is, and that that's is, a that's a terrible thing, right? That that's is, a bad thing because we want to hear other opinions. That is very true, but I also feel like um, if if Hollywood were more diverse, do you think? Uh, people f- with different political ideology um, would matter to the American people. Do you think? Because there's there are a, quite a few yeah. who have made quite a name for themselves as being, you know, the outliers in the entertainment industry, and I don't know that they get any less vitriol or any more respect having a political opinion. I just I feel like. Yeah. It's, like- it's about the elite. I think part of the problem is is that there's people of all of all parties of yeah. all you know who are they don't like the elites. You know, if you're and a I, big shot, we don't, don't like you. And I, I I get it, but it's not a you know. I mean, but that's what exists. It's not so yeah. much you know a f- political philosophy. It's kind of a cultural thing, right? Right. And that's- I totally and and a and a uh, and a. And a status, a socioeconomic thing as yeah. well. Um, the the other thing that I want to say is like diversity means something incredibly different in my industry that I'm not so sure would attract people from a different mind frame. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like I don't know that. That there's there there's you know any of these that these kids that we've seen who or anyone uh, you know anyone that's been indoctrinated by a, um, a conservative mentality is going to choose to uh, pick up a, a a piece of watercolor paper and 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 paint or pick up a guitar and I think artistry has a certain um, attraction to it from a very specific type of person. Yeah, I, I, I think I would completely disagree with that. I, I don't think that it is inherent in either liberals or conservatives as to how creative someone is. I think that you can be extremely conservative and still be an amazing composer, an amazing musician, uh, an amazing painter. You know, I, I don't, I think it's, 
that I think art so do is- you think tell me more about that I mean do you think that because do you think that they're like hiding or do you think we don't hear about them because because they ha- they're scared to I mean because if you, if you really if you really I'm just trying to think of like it's I mean it's an interesting I think I I think this is a fascinating crux. I will say I went to, I'm a progressive. Um, I went to CPAC uh, a month or two ago, and it was it was I was surprised by, and actually I I understood there there's such anger feeling a lot of that conservative movement. And the governor and I have talked. I don't think that the CPAC is necessarily reflective of perhaps the Republican Party the governor uh, came up in. But I know there was a lot of talk of For like. Sure. The, the major cultural institutions are controlled. The gatekeepers are progressive and they are the left. And there was a real frustration with people that felt like Hollywood and the, the cultural, um, all of these institutions are, are in and of themselves telling stories that have a, a left leaning bent. And, and I would, I, I can understand that. Um, and I, I think it is an interesting question of like how much of that is a reflection of like, is art Maybe the larger question is: Art a reflection of a? Um, is is it benefit a liberal mindset that is about uh, uh, openness? Is the conservative mindset limiting towards towards artistry? Is the issue right now the gatekeepers who let these right. stories be told? Are those stories? Right. Do they have a home? Because uh, again, also many of these gatekeepers. <laughs> I think have less interest in uh, perhaps uh, good intentions. A lot of the gatekeepers want to sell a product and is the product popular. So is the conservative message yeah. in and of itself something that's, um, but where, but where are the conservative filmmakers that are that, that, cause obviously there are many very wealthy conservatives. Um, where are the conservative filmmakers? And, and yes, I agree completely. Jordan, let's take this Republican party that we're witnessing right now out of the picture and let's, you know, go go back to the Republican Party where, you know, it wasn't as divisive. But and maybe this is an industry. But maybe both maybe both parties are divisive. You know, that that's that's the thing that I look I I I'm the only person, Alyssa, you that you know on the earth right now who worked at Fox News, CNN, spoke at a Republican convention and a Democrat convention. There's nobody like that. But I that. do want to say and, this. Yeah. Like I read I read your book. How'd you like it? You actually signed it to me. Well, so how did that happen? That's you, good. Do you think that there's many Republicans that that have my book? I, I that I don't know, but I would like to see your book. Well, I'll send you a. I'll send okay. you a sign. But here, here's the thing: you have to think about I did this love way. It, just by for the way. a second. Just thank you for for. And that was like you know, it's being free spirit, right? It's being out. But yep. look, here here's the thing: conservatives, in the truest sense really believe in government as a last resort, not a first resort. Okay? But okay. And that frees you up. Now, now here's what liberals tend to believe, that government can be an answer. Now, this is just a different way of thinking about this. If you think government is an answer, that involves a lot of bureaucracy. That's why I became a Republican. I don't want people getting in my way. So being a, a conservative meant I don't have all this bureaucracy or all these people trying to tell me what to do. If you think of it that way, that's a different take government, than what you hear, you know. Government th- is never bigger than when it's inside my uterus. Yeah, I, I understand never that. Bigger. I understand that debate. But what I'm saying to you, but but there's that's on both sides. And look, there's a lot of Democrats, uh, you know, Hispanic community, African-American community. They're not, they're pro-life. So I understand what you're saying. I'm talking about, though, on the whole, on the whole thing that we talk about, when I became a Republican, because I don't want I don't want big business, I don't want big labor, and I don't want big government getting in my way. I want to be free to be what I want to be, which is a different way of looking at it. Because today, many of the loud voices of the Republican Party betray what it really means to be a conservative. That's right. what I because I, that's why I'm so frustrated with them all. Right. This. No, I get it. I mean, and, and, I'm, and, a, I'm, a, I'm an unhappy Republican, right? I'm unhappy. And, I look at it and I say, when hearing you say free to be who you want to be, yeah, I'm like, well, that's that's a progressive ideology. See, I, I don't know that that's really true. Oh. Be- because, I, you know, with progressives, there's an awful lot of judgment and condemnation. There is. I, I, 
I mean, there is in the Republican Party. I agree with you. It's both sides. That's my point. You got yeah. exactly where I wanted you to go. Yeah. Yeah. Both sides. But but I will also say that I am not. I mean, I am I am the person that actually went and sat down with Ted Cruz for an hour and a half to talk about gun violence right after yeah. there was a mass shooting in Texas. I would say that most, uh, at least in the activist community, and this is why I have not run yeah. for office as of yet, most yeah. activists will, will sit down at the table with whoever we need to sit down at the table. I would meet with Trump tomorrow if it meant that while he was in office, we could get some shit done yeah, that I thought would better humanity. And I think there's a perception that left-leaning activists, and by the way, there are definitely, I mean, my, my biggest critics are the left-leaning activists. Yeah. Progressive yeah. activists are the ones that criticize me the most, but- Well, think Alyssa, it, think about this. In 1994, I, it, I supported the, the assault weapons ban. Yes. They, they yeah. tried to throw me off of off the budget committee, which, by the way, I was able to work with Democrats to actually balance the, the budget. Um, and then as governor, you know, I expanded Medicaid and I was a big fan of the arts. I mean, it's it's like we've got to be careful about not putting people in a certain, you know, putting them in a casting them a certain way because you can be surprised uh, about who they are when you dig down. That's all about it. You know, what it really gets down to is how can we communicate with one another more effectively? How can we advocate what we believe yes. in, but yet still be able to connect Yes. With somebody that's fundamentally on the other side of things than yes. we are. I think my my opinion, because I've actually had, you know, I've thought about this a lot because um, I think that we have gotten too comfortable in not feeling discomfort. Being in our silo and not even feeling discomfort. But like, no, I'm right and you're wrong and right. I don't want to hear it. You know, that's it's, right. That's right. And I think part, killing of, us. part of, you know, of just being um, uh, an effective uh, advocate is to be able to sit in discomfort, like to yeah. hear things that are hard and hurtful yeah. and 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 learn and and move on and learn not to dig your heels into uh things and realize that you know like listen completely aware of the silos completely aware that we all get our information from where we get need to get information i honestly don't know if democracy can live at the same time as social media unless we do some serious regulation uh, uh, absolutely. Yes. Here, 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 here. Well, You're right. You are absolutely. And the people who know the know this all are advocates of regulation. No, we got to have people to do the regulation that know what they're doing. You to What's want that? the government to regulate? That's not very. Uh, Alyssa, Alyssa, I said government as a last resort, not a first resort. Okay. Well, that, that doesn't mean that government is not necessary at times. Of course it is. Okay, well, we're there. This is the last yeah. resort. We need <laughs> okay, you and I are on the same page. Okay. <laughs> yes, but I, we need to regulate. And if we could do it quickly before my, my kids are teenagers, yeah. I would really appreciate that, okay? Because I don't, <laughs> yes. even know, I don't even know where to start <laughs> as a mother. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. Here's, here's what I... I love about this conversation from both of you guys, because I do think what I do think you both are talking about is engagement. And I, I, I will say uh, we all know that movement happens as seeing somebody engage with other people's ideas, reading other people's books, sitting down with Ted Cruz, who you might not agree with, but to be like, we want we don't want kids to feel unsafe at a school because of guns. Can we talk? I think that moves a democracy forward. You need to be able to have a conversation where I feel frustration. I've talked to the governor about this as a, uh, a progressive in this, and it feels like there are issues on both sides. I understand, but it feels like efforts at engagement are not done honestly on both sides. And it feels like progressives, because it's, it's what liberals love to do. Liberals love to be open to new things and often will, will go halfway. And it feels like it's not met with another open openness on the other side. And I guess my, my question is, because I think the only way that goes is for people to go back and double down. And I wonder... Alyssa, like as an activist, as somebody who's who's been arrested, 
who sits down with Ted Cruz, who has tried a lot of different ways to be effective. Do you feel like we are hitting a point right now where we're being nice and more open to another side that doesn't seem to be meeting halfway is the effective strategy or, or is the other strategy doubling down with I don't, more? I don't know what the strategy is. I know it's broken. Mm-hmm. I think we could all agree that it is broken. I think that when we are uh, living in a, a world where 14 or a country where 14 million children go to bed hungry every single night, that something is seriously broken Um, I think that if we are not meeting our, 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 our citizens, basic human rights, you know, education and, and healthcare and, and yes, universal background checks for, for guns, maybe, maybe smart locks. Um, how about jobs that pay a living wage, you know, and I think all of these sort of phrases have gotten so aligned with one political side that even if, even if Ted Cruz were like, you know what, we really should do something about the, the AR 15s on the street. He, he would be an outcast, right? Because they would be like, you're doing what? Um, Childcare, just basic basic things. And I think that the, the, the thing that is so messed up about where we are right now is not only the divisiveness and that we can't talk about it, but we can't even agree on the basic fundamental human rights that every single person deserves. And that's the part that is absolutely terrifying because honestly, you strip, strip the political, the D or the, the R away from from a ballot or or a um a candidate and hear them talk simply on the issues or have a conversation with your friends simply on the issues i believe that when we strip away the the political ideology we all want the same thing i mean we're all just striving for a happily ever after but we can't we can't deny the very the very important uh, problems that we are facing in the country. Everyone should be able to afford insulin. This should not be an this should not be a political conversation. Everyone, every child should have to be able to eat and have access to health care. Uh, every every parent should be able to to spend time with their child after their child is born, um, and also like kids should be able to go to school without. I had to have a forty minute conversation with the seven year old with Bella the other last week about the lockdown drills. We're creating a generation who 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 is more anxious. Yeah, there's no question. And and then not not yeah. treating mental health issues like. You know, it's something that is so vital and part of every single day. We need, you know, equitable access to 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 vaccines. And by the way, these are all global issues too. I'm an ambassador for UNICEF. I have been since 2003. These problems are not unique to our country. It's more heartbreaking because we're one of the richest countries in the world. But I've traveled to Angola and South Africa and Kosovo and all over the Middle East and India after the tsunami. Everybody is fighting for the same thing. We all just want our basic human rights met so that we can thrive and dream and hope. Because I really believe hope is where it all starts. Alyssa, let me um, let me just, just say a couple of things. First of all, Fear is a poison. It 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 it's what drives people in the wrong direction. But let me also tell you, when I think about politicians today, I look for courage and I look for character. And I don't find it a lot of places. And it's because everybody's protecting themselves. And we were when we talk about social media, the people that own these 
things, right? The people that, that drive these things. I mean, where's the courage and the character there? Where is it? Where, where are these people who stand up and say, no, we can't have that? Mental health parity. We we're working on that 15 years, 20 years ago, still not in play. Basic health care for people, you know? Yeah. How about uh, just how about just including women in the in the Constitution? Yeah. How about the Equal Rights Amendment? A hundred years. And, and, and what I'm what I'm trying to say to you is maybe it's to some degree. I want to see these big time leaders. And as you know, in that book I wrote, I said, you know, if the Secretary of State, Jordan, I said, if the Secretary of State and your trash man went on vacation, who would you miss most? And think about it. And. It, it really does get down to us, Alyssa, and that's why as an activist, whether you're on the right or whether you're on the left, an activist that can sort of be firm in their position, but yet at the same time be able to listen to somebody else and unlock somebody else who doesn't think like us. And if you take the issue of guns, you know, I've been working on this, it drives me crazy. You know, you know what it is? It's fear of losing an election on both sides. All of it. I mean, I, 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 I've been there. I was there in 94 when we passed that stuff. And it, it, it just gets to be about, no, we're going to do the right thing. And, it, and if you don't like what I'm doing, kick me out. Nobody ever wants to say, kick me out. Because, you know, sometimes you win when you lose. Everybody wants to win, win, win. And you know what? Really? Win, win, win? And when you get to the pearly gates and St. Peter says, what'd you do? You say, oh, well, I was really a success. He may ask you, well, what'd you do for the least of those? What did you do to stand up? And, and Jordan, that's where the issue of faith matters to me, because we got to ask ourselves, are we, are we living up to the thank yous for the blessings that we have in our lives? And frankly, it ain't that hard. It's so just I, not that I, hard to I, do. I will tell you, here, we, here's where, not in, uh, you know, we talk about faith a lot on this Podcast. It's not just faith. You don't. You can but, be a. You can be agnostic and still be motivated. Totally. I think a nation think needs to have it. Though he, here is where I have lost some faith, but I respond to the action, and I. I think we've talked about the issue of guns a little bit here, yeah. and and recently there was a horrific mass shooting, which sadly is uh, not news in America. It happens way too often, and I know we don't all here agree politically on stuff, but I would guess. For most of that issue, there's not a lot of disagreement, and there wants to be action done. What we know all the problems, we know the issues that they have. Like, is there any actionable steps that can be taken? Are are, are there are there moves by the left and or by well, we the gotta, right? Or we got to get rid of the special interest groups too, because <laughs> that's a whole other that's a whole other part of this that has far too much political power. Um, in my opinion, I don't know how you feel about this, Governor. But- Alyssa, but here, here's what I'm going to tell you about the guns. And people want to say the NRA, okay, and we could say the NRA. That's not what's killed gun reform. What's what's killed gun reform are the people that live in the district who may be alerted by the NRA, but it's the gun owners, the person that lives next door to you that says, don't you take my gun. I went through this because we had a lot of violence in Ohio. I said, we're going to have a commission and I'm announcing it tomorrow. And then we're going to get Republicans and Democrats to sit in a room and come up with a list of things. And we were doing we were doing well. But at the end, it started to break down because people that live in the neighborhood said, don't you come touch my guns. I'm just I'm telling you, it's yeah. unbelievable. Isn't that- a messaging problem though because i'm a I, no. I, I own two two guns well okay Go um ahead. i don't want anyone taking away my guns right right but i'm also a responsible gun owner it's I, fear I, remember how i started this it's fear that drives this and it, and and it is i mean but it's all it's all wrapped up in here it is a messaging yeah. problem but it's activated by groups like the nra that see it as a messaging yeah opportunity i agree with you and be a to, leader to get, to get all of those right. folks be a leader be a leader. Yeah. Stand for something. Yeah. What the hell are you doing down there, or in the legislature, or what are you do? What are you doing? What's the purpose of you being there? If you're not there to do something, then get out. Alyssa, here's the thing. I'm trying to pass some common sense gun legislation. All I needed, all I needed in Ohio, all I needed on the state house grounds were five thousand people. 
That's all I needed. If 5,000 people had shown up down there, it would have put the fear of God in those legislators, and we would have gotten more done. But they, they didn't show up because they got other things that they're doing, and they're busy and whatever. And I don't work with anybody to get it done. So with somehow activists like you, and not just like you, people of all stripes who are just so committed and love their country and love what we have— and progress is slow. The progress on guns is terrible. Jordan, you, you hit it the nail on the head. We see these shootings, and they're like not even news anymore. Or this this guy who this this guy who kills 10 people, right? He's inspired from the social media platform of the killing that took place in New Zealand. I mean, what the hell is going on here? Why would anybody allow that to be put on their platform? I mean, these are all things it all gets to character. And being are, willing to have a voice. Are gun manufacturers the only industry in America exempt from being sued? Mm. I think that's changing now. I do think that it, that's, I, I think there there is movement on the left that I think is interesting is like, let's approach this problem from a different way. Hit, hit, hit them in their pocketbooks. Uh, it's, you got to get them like they got Capone. You know what? This guy does all this bullshit. Damn it. Let's get him on his taxes. Uh, I, but there's always an internal debate among the, uh, among the ones that want to have the gun, uh, issues brought and the reforms to happen because they can't agree on anything themselves. Well, we can't go, we have to go farther than this. I said, why don't we just take the first two steps and worry about the sixth step down the road? Get I, something done. I believe that part of the reason why I am uh, effective in what I do is, well, A, because I'm, w- I'm well-educated on lots of issues, but also because I don't work for a specific organization that just has one, one cause. Because I think what winds up happening is the progress gets stalled. Everybody goes into it with the right intentions. The progress gets stalled because it's, it's, it's job security. Yeah, and that's, not that's only that, agree. but they're all competing for the same donor dollars, especially now when, when people are not making as much or they're, or inflation or whatever, like people aren't donating a lot of money right now. So, but I think, I think the most important thing is 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 maybe, and I think that this is the thing that you've been able to be really effective um, in, Governor, is is leading um, leading by by listening and actually listening to learn, right? Instead of yeah. listening to hear confirmation of your yeah. of your your own biases. Yeah. Yeah, and I changed my mind because people that I respect have a different view than me, and I go, "Oh boy, you know what? That's that's right," and it, it influences me, uh, and I change. And there's no embarrassment to that, you know. I don't care if I'm, I made a mistake. So what? Let's move on. And, Life is short. And how beautiful is it that you get to say that? And 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 you know, every time I misstep publicly in in my activism, you know, you know, because it's. It's never the end, right? You're always working towards a better understanding for those who are oppressed or marginalized or whatever. And, you know, when I misstep, I try to think of it as like, I get to correct the misstep publicly so that other people can learn from my misstep. And it took me a long time to figure that out because, you know, your ego gets hurt right you're like oh um but letting go of the ego letting go of the result being being the planter and not the harvester it's not about being the loudest activist it's about being the activist that inspires thousands of other people to be activists people are going to love this podcast (laughs) they are (laughs) They, they're, this is this has been. Well, I just can't thank you enough for any for the, for the way you, you know. I'll tell you something. This was just terrific. I just loved this this conversation, Jordan. I, I hope you agree. It was. This has been terrific. I really. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate you challenging me, and I appreciate you sharing your microphone with me. 
Well, if you want to hear more Alyssa, subscribe to her podcast, Sorry Not Sorry, everywhere you get your podcasts. And her book of the same name, Sorry Not Sorry, is available now wherever you get your books. Alyssa Milano, thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Jordan here, uh, your favorite host of the Kasich Klepper podcast. Thank you for listening this far. If you like what you hear, click like or thumbs up or whatever icon signifies a positive reaction. We love your ratings. We love your thoughts. Reach out to us on social media. Let us know what you want us to talk about because I'm tired of answering the governor's questions and I just prefer to answer yours. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Kasich and Klepper is a production of Treefort Media, hosted and executive produced by John Kasich and Jordan Klepper. Treefort Media's executive producers are Kelly Garner, Lisa Ammerman, and Matthew Kugler. Line producer is Oscar Guido. Audio direction by Tom Monahan, head of audio for Treefort. With production and editing by Maxwell Carney. Talent booking by Blythe Asher. With additional production help from Tim Schauer, Haley Mandelberg, Colin Motel, and Anastasia Ibrahim. This podcast is powered by Acast.